Welcome to Scaling Impact, where we decode how entrepreneurs are harnessing the power of the UN Sustainable Development Goals to create remarkable and impactful businesses that drive transformation on a global and local human scale. We explore how sustainability is elevating our human consciousness and catalyzing us to create within constraints. We decipher why now is the biggest entrepreneurial opportunity since the dawn of industrialization and what leaders and entrepreneurs can do to harness the winds of change. I'm Anderson Manilson, global futurist, EO Sydney impact champion and father, and your co-host with Lisa Andrews for Scaling Impact. Welcome to EO Sydney's global podcast, Scaling Impact. On today's episode, we are joined by a thought leader in sustainability, Angelica Nora. And uh, I'm super excited to tune into her passions as we unearth her big purpose in business and how Angelica is leveraging the UN SDGs and in particular life on land, sustainable development goal number 15 to scale her business and impact. So Angelica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Anders. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm just going to give you know our listeners and viewers a little bit of a background on, on you. Um, you and I have sat down, usually sort of a glass of wine in hand, uh, which is always fascinating because you know you you know about the terroir, as the French would say, um, you know the provenance and all, all the all the mysticism that make a great bottle of wine. And you are a wine imp- importer, you're a wine distributor, wine list consultant. You're the co-founder of the Blue Door Surrey Hills Restaurant, a sustainable restaurant. You're the founder and director of Direct Wine Cellars and also the MD of sales at Star Beverages Australia. So everything good that we like to consume, I feel like, you know, you've got a little, you know, finger in the pie somewhere or certainly, you know, uh, an impact on um, on that sort of farm to table uh, conversation and, and, and story and all the rest. But today we're, we're here to talk about um, life on land and, and maybe in particular how food and wine and your restaurants and your businesses play a key role as we shift from more of a you know linear economy of take make and waste to a more circular a regenerative uh, economy where where farmers are you know starting to make a real impact on on how the world is is regenerating as well so um that's a little bit of an entree or intro to to angelica nora i'm curious how, how did you how did you start out in, in this space and what's the sustainability passion yeah so okay to be honest um like if we go back say four or five years i didn't really understand what sustainability meant i was a miss keep cup and you know using my own little cutlery and stuff like that and you know i was trying not to leave rubbish and cleaning the ocean like that's kind of like where it all started i was like you know one of those people, but I didn't really understand um, what the impact of my food or my my wine consumption was actually doing to the land um, at the time. And then a couple of years ago, I met uh, Dylan um, and we were just chatting and we we're talking about food and I was talking about how, um, you know, I was full of a carnivore at that point and loved eating beef. And he just questioned me. He's like, what kind of beef do you eat? And I was like, oh, you know, um, I really love grain fed. And he was like, oh, man, that's so bad. And I was like, what do you mean that's bad? He's like, no, you shouldn't be eating grain fed. And I was like, why? Like, you know, that's juiciest like Wagyu and stuff. 
he's like, and then he started educating. I guess he started just going into um, the difference between grain fed and grass fed. And he said to me, Ange, you know, if cows are meant to only eat grass, the minute we feed them grain, they get gas in their stomach. That gas turns into methane in our environment, and we wonder why we have climate change. And I was like, oh. He's like, but if we just stuck to grass-fed, while it's not the perfect option, um, you know, stick to grass-fed, the cows have, you know, diversity of plant life around them. They're eating what they're meant to eat, so their system's working better. Um, and you're actually, you know, growing more diversity of plants on the farm that they're living in, so it's carbon neutral almost, right? I was like, wow, tell me more. He's like, look, that's all I'm going to leave you with. You go and do your own research. So then I started reading books about, then I was like almost like I'm going full vegan at that point. <laughs> um, and then I started learning about the, the issues of soy and, and corn and anything that's like monoculture farming. Um, I've learned about how that it can really start destroying um, our, you know, our, it starts emitting carbon rather than sequestering carbon. Um, yeah, so just, yeah, so this anything that, can, can anything that starts as like a monoculture, so soy, corn, all those kind of things, not actually that good um, for the environment, even though we think we're doing a good thing. And I just started doing all this research and I was like, holy crap, like people need to know about this. Um, read a book called Defending Beef. I read, you know, um, The Omnivore's Dilemma and all these books that made me go like, wow, like everything I thought I knew, I do not know. So um, I was like, how do we get more people to know about this? And Dylan was a chef uh, at the time and he goes, no one really cares and I want to work with this stuff. Like I want to work with grass-fed, pasture-raised. I don't want to work, um, you know, with boxed meat anymore. I want to know where the food comes from. I want transparency for diners. No one cares, so I'm going to give up cooking. So I said, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you cannot give up cooking. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm really keen to go into a restaurant with you. So we started a restaurant and the entire um, ethos behind the blue door is complete transparency on where all the food comes from. Everything's super local so that there's no air miles, I guess, of the food. Uh, we only buy whole animals as a method of sustainability because, you know, we always say like if every restaurant in Sydney has ribeye on the menu, where's the rest of the cow, right? And if we are emitting all this carbon in these grain lots, where's the rest of the cow? Um, so that was always the question. So we use whole cows, we use whole pigs, we use whole ducks, we use... I feel like that would be a great, um, that would be a fantastic like bumper sticker statement on, on your car, like where is the rest of the car, cow? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the rest? <laughs> it's true. It's a really true point. And I started like from being like picky and choosy eater to now eating everything in honour of that animal because it's, it, in the day, it's all about sustainability because that animal has gone through that life and grown for us. We should eat the whole thing. We shouldn't just go, I don't eat duck or I don't eat pork. I don't eat. It's like just eat everything because it's it's given to us. Um, and, yeah, so that's what our ethos is. So we do seven-course tasting menu based on whatever we have that week. So whatever the farmers are growing, whatever the vegetables we get, like we just make a menu every week from that. And then everyone we work with is um, – is regenerative, which is where you're putting, you know, more nutrients into the soil than you're taking. Um, if we think about, I guess it's like a lot of people ask me like what regenerative farming means. It's kind of like if you think about your stomach, you know, everyone talks about how your gut has all this flora and bacteria and all these, micro, you know, um, microbial activity, I guess. 
the, the soil has exactly the same thing. So if you're doing non-till farming or regenerative farming, you're not disturbing the microbiome of the soil. You end up with all these beautiful nutrients in that soil. The the plants feed off that and yes they have to work harder because you know they're not they're not lazy they're not being sprayed with herbicide or pesticide they have to build their own immunity system similar to us if we get take a lot of drugs like uh cold and flu drugs or whatever compared to feeding ourselves nourishing food or whatever um these plants end up with so many nutrients that we then intake like ingest um as well as um yeah you don't need any herbicide or pesticide so you're, you're not eating any chemicals and there's so many studies around the world, particularly like chefs doing this, where they've found out that literally a carrot that tastes like a carrot, I know this sounds ridiculous, but a carrot that tastes like a carrot has more nutrients than like a bag of carrots at Coles. So you're better off eating one or two carrots compared to having one kilo of carrots, but make sure that they're full of nutrients from regenerative um, vegetable farmers kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's the whole ethos of what we're doing and it's become my absolute obsession. I've just, I feel like I've, you know, I, I always say the 12 years of importing and distributing wine from all over the world, this is now my redemption um, for all that that I've done. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah, it's just been a really fun journey. It's, you know, fun to explain and, and the shock when people hear that, only 3% of all pork in Australia ever sees grass. You know, it's shocking. You know, we don't think about that when we're buying our ham at Coles, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry, that was a bit of a, bit of a whirlwind, that answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, well, I asked you about, you know, passions and, you know, where this all came from. So it's, it's nice to, to explore, the, you know, the background story there. So only 3% of, uh, of pork see any grass in Australia. Any other statistics or numbers that um, our fellow entrepreneurs should be tuning into when it comes to uh, knowing about, you know, the impact of our, you know, food choices? Well, that's a big one for me. So I always say if you are at Woolies and you have no choice, try and get at least, you know, the Australian ham uh, from the deli, uh, even though they're mainly um, grown in these big like feedlot building kind of things. And I found out the other day that in Melbourne, um, in Victoria, the law is that you can't even do free range. You can't even kill like process free range pigs, which is a really weird situation. So we're much luckier here in New South Wales that we can get free range. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a big thing is chicken. Uh, you know, when people realise how um, like people don't realize that there can be ethical chicken. So if you ever see, oh, that's actually a good one. So um, always look for pasture-raised chicken. That's that's one thing. But the word free range, and I mean, we always try and do the right thing, but free range means they live in a shed. They just have a door, right? They can get out whenever they wish. So always look for pasture-raised or pasture-finished or par always use work, look at that word because that's beyond free range, yeah? Like, I always try and stay away from the word free range because it's it's such a um, it's just such a false a, you know false term and I know that most humans want to do the right thing we want to buy ethical eggs and ethical chicken and all that um, but when we, we get sold that free range is the right thing we're actually not looking deeper into it so that's probably the other thing I'd say to look out for yeah oh and um, one more thing about wine sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a few things. Anders, you, you got me, you've got me on a roll, bro. You can't, you can't do that. Um, so wine, organic is a massive thing because you have to remember like 
organic is just this overarching term for like, oh, we're not using many chemicals. But it doesn't actually mean they're not using chemicals. They'll still, they'll still, um, you know, they'll still spray coppers and sulfates and stuff um, on the vegetables, on the on the grapes, and all that kind of thing. So, the word organic doesn't normally mean too much either. Look for chemical free is probably the best um, thing to look for, I guess, in food. Wow. So, so when I buy my like organic wines, you're you're telling me it's not organic. It, it's organically, pro- yeah. Like they're doing as much as they can. But organic has become quite a big, broad statement these days. So um, most of the people who are doing like proper biodynamics organics, they don't even say it on the label. You just have to do your own little research. But a lot, that's why I stick to mainly like natural natural wines, as weird as it is, because, you know, they're normally proper organic, like actually chemical-free, letting the grapes grow as they wish. They're doing regenerative um, biodynamic farming on the in the vineyard as well. So... Yeah, sorry. I, I feel like it's a downer. I feel like I, <laughs> I don't want to be a downer today. <laughs> so how do we get beyond this sort of, you know, greenwashing or whatever we want to call it to, you know, a place where, you know, people don't just sort of do the moral licensing move of going, oh, well, I bought the free range stuff, like tick that box and, you know, that's you know, better for the planet and better for the chickens and better for the family. Like how how can we, you know, structurally or, you know, even in the awareness amongst chefs or the consumer move to a space where, you know, this is not just a matter of greenwashing, but it's, you know, it's true, authentic sort of, you know, provenance and, 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 and you know, animal husbandry and that is ethical and, and, and you know, looking after our lands in a, in a regenerative fashion. Have you got any any, any thoughts on that? God, and it's such a great question because I've been trying to work out the answer to this myself. And because a lot of people, like, as I said, a lot of people think that, like, they just hear free range and they think that that's the right thing. And I don't think anyone looks beyond that. I think the question is how do we get more people to ask questions? How do we get people, like, when they get a plate at a restaurant, ask, like, where is that duck from? you know, where is that beef from? And then hopefully they go and do their own research and they, they choose with their money. They, they make different, like we can make a difference. Like if less people are eating, I shouldn't say this particular Wagyu from very rich people that are all feedlot, um, then there won't be a demand for that, which means hopefully that the regenerative farmer who's doing the right thing has more, um, more requests for his for the, his or her product, so that's yeah yeah. The only thing I can really think of is like we as a, humans need to ask more questions um, and ask for more transparency, and not just sit there and go, oh yeah, cool, I'll eat that beef. It doesn't tell me. I don't know who the farmer is. I don't know where it came from, but I'll eat it anyway. You know, um, I always get in trouble when I go to restaurants from friends because I'll be like, oh, who caught your fish? You know, who caught, like, where's that scallop from? Where's the prawns from? And people was like, like, who cares? Just leave it alone. I'm like, no, you have to ask because it will start, if people go, okay, people keep asking, it makes the chefs go, oh, we better change. We have to, like, have someone we're proud to promote, you know? So, yeah, that's that's honestly, and as the only thing I can think of, I am very much up for suggestions on how we can fix this um, because, yeah, it's quite a frustrating thing for us, especially when we dine out. Well, I think sometimes just the importance of storytelling and, and debunking myths and re-educating people, um, you know, how they can make a switch uh, is important. Like, I mean, I even, like, if I went to, like, your website or, you know, another sustainability advocate, 
and they're like, you know, just go, you know, don't do this, buy this instead. Like just, you know, um, you know, I don't know, like I got ditch the salmon that's been, you know, that's been in aquaculture in this area, but like buy the, you know, Acuna sustainable cod, um, from here instead. Uh, and luckily, you know, you might happen to have that on your menu or, you know, ditch, ditch grain fed, go grass fed. Like, are there some of those switches that you could just go, Hey, you, like, you don't know how much damage you're doing by, you know, ordering the Wagyu, um, go for this option instead. Are there some like easy switches like that you could, you could think of that would be helpful? Stick local. Local is probably the best switch because we have the highest practices here, like in terms of ethical and sustainable um, farming practices. I would choose Australia over New Zealand even, um, particularly for seafood, even though we're not talking about the sea right now, but um, seafood, I'll always go local. Um, Any kind of time you can eat animals like processed here in Australia, like, you know, processed in Australia, not flown in, um, you know, things from as local as you can get it. I always think about it like the French principle, like in France, provenance is so important. If you go to Lyon, you're not eating food from Bergen, uh, from um, like the north of France. You're not, if you go to Italy, you're not eating um, food from Tuscany if you're from Veneto, you know, like they eat what is local. And I think if that's a huge difference that we can make here in, in New South Wales particularly is it's like ask if it's local. That could be a huge switch straight away. Um, eggs, ask if they're local. You know, it's – and are they pasture-raised? Pasture-raised means so much more. So, yeah. So give us your, like, five, five, five tips here. So we've got, you know, pasture-raised, local. Pasture-raised, local. Um, okay, pasture-raised, local, um, chemical-free. Look for the words chemical-free. The other thing is eat less but eat better. I know people say it's too expensive to eat or like organic or eat pasture fed food, but you, there's so much more nutrients in it. Just eat less of it. So buy one chicken, you could buy, you can have the legs one day in a wrap, um, the breasts one day in a stir fry, the uh, bones one day in a soup. You can actually feed yourself for five days. If you really got creative with one chicken, it might cost you $70, but you get creative, right? Um, so yeah, that's so eat less, eat better. Um, and what's my final, my final one, Anders? You can have more, but you know. Lion caught fish every day. Don't eat prawns. Prawns are bad for you. <laughs> bad for the environment. Um, no, uh, prawn, I always say um, the prawn and the scallop industry in the north of Queensland are constantly asking to be regulated because they're like, we are, this is insane. Like what we're doing here, you need to regulate us. So we're not producing as much as we are. So if the actual industry saying, please stop us, <laughs> I just think stop eating it. Um, but yeah, that's just my little rant. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Um, and also just be conscious of soy. Um, people think that soy is a great alternative and people think about, you know, oh, these soy, like um, meat, uh, what is it? The plant-based alternatives, right? Plant-based alternatives. I'm like, my idea of a plant-based alternative to meat is mushroom, it's eggplant, it's eating vegetables. Soy, uh, once you plant soy, it sucks so much of the nutrients and it actually chokes all the other life form around it. So you get this monoculture farming. So everyone thinks, yeah, I eat soy. It's so much better. 
for the environment. It's killing us because we need grass. The grass sequesters more carbon than any trees or anything, right? So the beauty of having pasture-raised chickens is if you actually go to a pasture-raised chicken farm, you see where the chickens have been and they peck and they poo and they peck and they poo and then they get moved. And you see how beautifully long the grass gets and like how beautiful the pasture regenerates after you just have chickens moving through it, right? Um, so we need more grass, like just we need more grass. Um, and when you're planting soy and everything, it's sucking all that away. Uh, and then people say, oh, you know, we're going to go plant a tree. And then you end up with these big forests of the same damn tree, like oak trees, which only brings in one form of uh, bird life, right? We need diversity of plant life and and diversity of uh, birds and um, bees and all the other uh, fauna, I guess you could say. Um, but when we're only planting one style of tree or one of corn, like one pot of corn or one pot of soy, we're not actually helping the environment in any way, shape or form. Um, so we need grass, like we need just more grass. So then they got, you know, we can get these impossible burgers and stuff. I'm like to build or lab grown meat, to build the factories, to feed us all this lab grown meat is going to take up football stadiums of land. It is so counterintuitive. Just put more grass, feed more animals on land. We have to just go back to old school agriculture which does mean, yes, we're going to have to eat less meat in the future and more vegetables, more diversity of vegetables, but we eat better and we help our planet that way. Um, so that's something for people to really consider um, when they're eating like all these plant-based kind of alternatives. Eat mushrooms. They're great. <laughs> you know, mushrooms are fantastic. Just don't, you know, lab-grown and soy-based, a bit weird. I love a good mushroom. I'm, I'm Swedish. Yes. The Swedes know what they're doing. They know what they're doing in terms of this stuff. We go foraging in the forest for, for amazing mushrooms like chanterelles and stuff like that. I wish, I wish they were easier to find in Australia. Um, but the, the other thing here is, you know, what, what are the stories from the land? So have you got some heartening stories of some of the local farms you work with, uh, anything that's happening there? What, what have, what have those encounters been like and, and are there some stories off the farm that you can share with our listeners? We've got some beautiful, like, oh, we've got so many beautiful farmers. Like, they are really special. Like, we, for instance, there's, like, Justin down at Duckfoot. Uh, he's in Colovale, but he's just got this passion. Him and Sam from Maple Tree Farms down in Colovale, um, they have this thing where they just, say, say someone has a block of land and they're not using it, right? They go and lease that land from the people and they create um vegetable beds right um vegetable beds so then they're building all these vegetables um constantly rotating them in um, a regenerative matter and then they go and sell those vegetables and they they build them so that other people can come in and start making their own like vegetable boxes and stuff so it like helps the community um and yeah just it helps all these people that own all this land to actually do something with it, um, do something positive with their land. So that's been really special. Then you have like Sasha at Kanuka Creek up in Papa Barra, um, Port Macquarie. I feel bad because they've just shut their chicken operation. But when we went and visited them, you know, it's just this um, family and they, they bought a farm, the husband and wife bought a farm because they just wanted their kids growing up knowing where their food came from. So they the first thing they did to regenerate was put chickens on it and, you know, chickens run around. It's so cute that the, the kids would fall in love with the chickens and then they'd have like the chicken coop just for the 
pet chickens <laughs> while like the rest of the chickens are running around and um, they're the ones to get processed. But it was the tastiest chicken I think. I don't think I've ever tasted chicken like that in my life. But again, they're fighting their pasture raised. They're fighting with the whole free range thing and they couldn't keep it going for now. I'm hoping that they come back and they're looking at like how they can turn their farm into a vegetable farm. So it's really good to see that. You've also got Musset Holdings um, down in Colo Vale as well. Like Southern Highlands is a big area for us. Um, he is, uh, he started as a pasture-raised chicken egg farmer. Um, the grass was doing so well that it was just like flying. So his a mate came around and said, oh, why don't you start making hay? So he started like cutting the grass, making hay. Then from the hay barrel, like hay bundles, started growing mushrooms. So putting the mushroom spurs and letting that go, ended up getting like all these like mushroom mite or hay mites, which wasn't good. So got rid of that situation and actually has like a mushroom. Now he plants mushrooms on the farm. So he's done like that hydroponic mushroom system. And then he takes like once the bags are all done, he'll take them down to the river and he'll try and get like a third or fourth spur out of it. But it, like all the... Um, all the spurs that kind of drop on the floor and helps regenerate the soil around the lake and stuff like that. So, and then he's putting mussels in his lake. Like this guy is like, I just see this cycle of regeneration where they just, they just constantly thinking of like, what else can we do? So he's pretty sensational as well. Um, I mean, we've got some great farmers. You've got Gundui Organics, pasture-raised Wagyu, who's hundred percent pasture-raised Wagyu up in, um, up in Leadville near Mudgee. So again, like they're just awesome people. Um, just the cows grow slowly. They're super lean um, compared to the Wagyu we expect to eat, I guess. Um, but, you know, full of omega-3s, omega-6s, vitamin A, vitamin E, exactly what we need to be eating, um, not like the grain-fed. So, yeah, we got some people doing some cool stuff, really cool stuff. There is such a thing as good Wagyu. Oh, yeah. Not just good for the tongue and the, you know. Yeah, but I will warn people, like, it, I say to people when they come and eat it, because we, we buy the whole cow, so... There are parts, you're going to eat the skirt, you're going to eat the flank, you're going to eat the second and third cuts when you come to our restaurant, right? So we say to people, it's going to be chewy, like not chewy, but it's going to have a bite to it. So we're still going to serve it because we want to show that, you know, we, this is what the animal tastes like. You can't just pick and choose. I only have ribeye. I only, I fill it. Like there are other parts of that cow. Um, so yeah. So, you know, great beef, like really, really good beef. Um, Tastes like beef, which is good. That's what I say. Like it doesn't taste like water like a lot of Wagyu does. <laughs> yeah. But no, there is some good stuff. How do we pair this uh, with wines? Because this is always, you know, there's always a little bit of a bugbear of mine because I'm like, oh, you know, like this is where the sustainability sort of clashes potentially with, you know, the idea of provenance and provenance marketing. So, you know, um, I know – most of the, you know, fancy celebratory occasions, you know, people might go, oh, well, I'll spend a little bit extra and get the champagne, but that's only from the champagne region in France. And that automatically means that it's been imported and, you know, got lots of food miles or wine miles there. Um, Cause then, you know, if, if you just, you know, if you went for the local alternative here because of, you know, provenance laws and everything else, you just, yeah. So like, is there is there a way to get around this or how do we feel less bad about wanting to occasionally drink champagne but then knowing that it comes with, you know, guilt? Well, look, it's <laughs> – okay, so have you ever flown from like, I don't know, Sydney to London before, All right? You fly from Sydney to London. I'm sure you've done – everyone's done that once or – yeah. You put it this way, for that one trip that you took on that plane, you'd need to drink 10,000 bottles of champagne to really make the same impact. 
So I don't think like we need to feel that bad about having that one bottle of champagne. Um, I think pay for it. Like these people who are paying $50 for Piper Heidsieck and thinking that that's an okay thing considering there's taxes, the miles to get here, um, the, the three years to make it and all that, you know, pay for champagne. That's what I always say, like pay for good champagne. Um, it's worth it. Um I guess with wine, it's look out for bottles that are lighter. So the lighter bottles, don't go with the thick, heavy set bottle because that's where the impact's being made. Um, like, you know, it's just heavy, so it's costing more money um, to make and to bring over here and all that kind of thing. Um, again, you can stick to local. Have your, like, I love, I import wine. I want people to drink champagne and French wine and, and all that. And it's good to be conscious of those wines because then you can see where our industry, the Australian market, is going as well. You can see how we're progressing as well compared to the rest of the world. Um, I mainly drink local now, but I stick mainly to like biodynamic, or, um, biodynamic organic, and um, natural winemaking. So, those three kind of buzzwords, but making sure they're real. And it's if you ever visit a wine region, just have a look at the vines. Just have a look underneath the vines, okay? If those vines are flat, if, if that soil is flat and it's moss growing on there and it's just there's no life under those vines except for the grapes like growing, there's just no life underneath, you can tell that there are a lot of chemicals going into that bottle of wine that you're about to drink. If you go to a wine region and you see the soil is dug up and it's just rich and you can just see like, um, you know, little animals running through the vineyard and all that kind of thing. Um, I wish I could show you a photo of what that looks like, but it's like you just see all the, the, the soils turning. Like you can see it's been turned. It looks healthy and alive. Then you know that 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 wine that winemaker or that viticulturist is working really hard to ensure they don't need to spray. They're just trying to do the natural cycle of the vine. Um, so yeah, try and look at those people. And go okay, cool. I want to drink wines from that vineyard because it's got less chemicals in there, right? And you see it as you drive through France. People think that you know people who drive through France. Oh, the wines are more natural. They are dead. Some of the vines you see there, you're like, oh, this is like devastating. Um, whereas then you go to a biodynamic producer down in Beaujolais, like the one, one of the ones I import, um, and the soil is so rich and alive. And you're like, yes, I want to drink that because you are what you eat. You are what you drink. Like if the soil is where everything starts, I want to drink the healthiest soil, you know, it's wine from the healthiest soil. So yeah. And, and it makes a huge difference. So that's probably my two tips on that. Just go to wine regions, have a look at the soil, see how alive it is, see if there's any moss growing under the vines, which is just scary because it means it's dead as dead can be. Um, and, yeah, just drink local as much as you can and look for lighter lighter bottles. Fantastic. And, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll all be educated on this when we step through the doors of the blue door as well um, because it sounds like by, by deep. Yeah, you'll see only local here, only 100% local. <laughs> what, what's the definition of local, by the way? I need, I need to ask this question. New South Wales. It's all local. It's, I have 250 wines on the list. Okay. So, the, so the, state, the state is like the definition of local. Okay, cool. Because a few years ago, I remember doing some work over in the United States. Okay, that's your definition of local, New South Wales. For our restaurant, but yeah, Australia is period is pretty local. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, but this, this, I mean, this is an important point because I, I know um, a few years ago I was doing some work in the agricultural economy in the United States and we were talking about local and, you know, I think locavore was like the year of, the word of the year back in 2007 or something. And um, 
you know, in the UK at that stage, local was like basically the England was like divvied up in like three, you know, three local regions and you could only call something local if you, you know, if you were a restaurant, you know, in that area, importing from that area. But I'm like, you know, Britain, you know, it's tiny compared to Australia, but like I wouldn't really feel like local as a, you know, Sydney cider would be to eat beef from, from Queensland, for example. So I'm wondering, is there any regulation on what, what local actually means? No, not really. I mean, again, it's, it's just our our definition of local. Like if we can drive there and pick that animal up, that's local. It's um, you know, less less food less food miles, I guess. Um, but yeah, the only reason we also say that is like we're probably not going to Victoria to go and check out a farm. Like it's just not going to happen. We don't have the time. So unless we've seen the farm and can advocate for it and say, yeah, we believe in those guys, we're just not going to use it. So that's why I think we've stuck to just local. And for us, the philosophy with the wine was the same because like it just feels weird. Like went to Tasmania and they are such advocates for local produce down there. It's an incredible spot. Like people need to go and eat down in Tassie. It's amazing. Um, but every restaurant, their wine lists are full of international wine and it just felt incongruous to us. It felt like, why are you such a supporter of the food but the wine doesn't even get a look in? And as a mainlander, I was like, I've come to Tasmania to drink the wine because we don't get it here. We just don't get most of their wine in, in Australia, in mainland Australia. And they were just like, oh, no, none, none of our customers want it. I'm like, that doesn't seem logical when – People are coming to our restaurant because it is a 100% local experience. So they can drink local wine, they eat local food. It's the most authentic experience they're getting of the time that they're visiting. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I just don't – I didn't feel right when I was down there. I was like, this. I wish they, I wish they had local wines on their menus. So that's why we did, it, what, did what we did here at the Blue Door. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I mean, a lot of this stuff that you – talking about is very sort of traditional human centric like going driving and visiting the farm um which i think is wonderful and then i'm kind of going how does this how does how do we scale that impact is there how can technology play a role in either you know restaurants and anyone in that supply chain or value chain making different decisions or you know how, how do we how do we scale these conversations? Is there a technology that you could think of or dream up that where you're like, oh, this is how we, you know, whole scale shift the needle on this? We always talk about this and it's so cute because I feel like the farmers are starting to do it where there's like a QR code and you can like, you know, when you're eating, you can actually scan the QR code. It shows you a video of the animal and all this, but people are scared of that. <laughs> people don't want to see the face of what they're eating, I think. Um I always have this thing of like, you know, the Google Glasses thing where you can actually like while you're um, sitting there, you can see the farm and um, you know, as we're talking, you can see the soil and you see all that. Like that would be so cool to be able to do that. Um, how do you do it on scale? Uh, it's I feel like it's already starting in terms of you see a lot of new openings in Sydney. You're seeing them write their menus with where the food comes from, who the farmer was. So you'd see that more and more and more. And um, like things like Michelin awarding, like in Europe, obviously not here yet, but they're awarding the green award, like a green star to people doing um, sustainable like things on their menu. So, yeah, I just see that that's the two kind of things, like more more people asking for it, that's the biggest scale, um, so that the restaurants are now making change, which is really great, and some sort of 
VR setup where like even on our walls, I'm like, can you do where they can look at a certain pot point of the wall and they see this, the farm and they understand what we're talking about? Um, yeah, I don't know how we can do that, but that's that would be very, very cool. Um, yeah, on a big scale. I don't know how, how to do it on a big scale. It'd be fun. I just like I get like images of like, I mean, this is just very localized in a sense, but like just the just – you and the, the you know Dylan on the farm you know interviewing farmers and you know having some of that beautiful scenery on you know on a great you know dimly lit projector somewhere in in, in the blue door you know so I'm not I'm not giving you marketing advice here but I'm just like my 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 imagination's running wild here um they're pretty pretty simple simple they're well they're 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 pretty sim- simple technologies right but like even just I think just the storytelling of knowing like knowing all, all about the greenwashing and, and skepticism and all the rest, I think just, just seeing like you guys and other restaurateurs, you know, actually making the time and, and doing your due diligence and all of this. Cause we, you know, we vote with our dollars to trust you guys because people don't have the time to, to think about every little food choice. So, you know, we go to you because you, you curate an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but people want to do the right thing. And I, I, I see it all the time. Like people want to make the right choices and they just don't know how. It's so overwhelming now. So that's why I try and say just stick to pasture-raised. That's the first step um, because at least the people doing pasture-raised are doing what they can to regenerate that soil. And that's all. That, like, that's the first step. That's what I try and try. And, that's the first place to start. We'll, start, we'll say that. We've talked a little bit about uh, books and, and books that have influenced you in, in your journey here uh, as a sustainability advocate. Um, are there any other books or investments under like a hundred bucks that has made a huge or have made a huge difference in terms of your thinking in this space or that have you found incredibly helpful that you can recommend to our listeners? Um, so yeah, definitely go out and get the Omnivore's Dilemma. It's a Michael Pollan book. So anyone who knows Michael Pollan, you know, he's just absolutely incredible um, researcher, I guess. Um, there's another book by an ex-vegan um, called Defending Beef. She married a married cattle rancher. And yes, it's American, um, but there's a lot of the same kind of problems happening here in, in Australia. Um, so get those two, those two books, uh, also podcasts like, um, Regen Ray, uh, he has a really great podcast around life on the land as well, which, um, has been very helpful. You get a lot of insights into farmers and, and, um, yeah, regenerative farmers and stuff like that on that. Um, another investment under, I'm just looking at my little bookshelf here. Cause I know that, like what else has really influenced me? Um, I know it sounds crazy, but just also buy a good cookbook, like whole animal cookbook so that you can go out and buy like an $80 chicken that you know is 100% pasture raised, but you know five different things you can do with that chicken and feed yourself for five days. Um, With the cost of living going up, I feel like, you know, the more use you can get out of one animal instead of buying bulk thighs at Coles, you know, that's going to be, that's a really good way forward. Um, Yeah. So that's probably a few options there for people. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Final question from, from me. So little thought experiment, imagine that it's now 2043 and, and, and you've just woken up, um, you know, based on our conversation and what you do, uh, what does the world look like? And is it, is it different in in 2043? Oh, how good, how, how good is thinking if, 
we just, I don't know if you've ever seen that show 2040 and just as if we just implemented like 5% of all the things that there are actually available to us right now, how blissful the world will look. Um, I just see lots of green pastures. I see buildings with um, urban farms on top of them, like utilize, utilizing vertical space for farming. Um, like I read this thing recently where it might be in Norway actually, where they've got like vegetable farm and then like pigs and then the heat from or the pigs on the floor the heat from the pigs um give the nutrients to the vegetables like these vertical farms that are just incredible to feed people um yeah so that's what i see lots of you know vertical farming beautiful green pastures um less like it would be so nice to go to a supermarket and not see packaged meat you know like you have to go to the butcher um, they've, they've cut it all up for you. Nothing's in plastic. It's everything has a little code that you can see exactly who, who, who butchered that meat for you, where that beef came from, you know, that would be idyllic, idyllic. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it could happen 2043. It's not too far away. Yeah. And just knowing that like whatever we choose to put in our mouths and our bellies can actually have a huge impact from a climate regeneration perspective as well so 100 and even for ourselves like before i started eating like i eat now i was constantly bloated and lethargic and just felt like i don't know like never nourished you know i was always undernourished and people always say to me man you look so much younger these days yeah because i'm nourishing myself with food that's actually like regenerate like part of a regenerative cycle um and it's so different like and I eat anything now. Nothing, nothing affects my gut the way it used to um, in the past when I was just eating whatever the hell was available. So, yeah, eat less, eat better, makes us feel better too. Amazing. Well, I think we're going to have to have a super localized EO forum dinner at the Blue Door next time around to to, to sample all the amazing uh, amazing flavors and, and nutrients. So, Angelica Nora, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for um, for regenerating the, the the planet in a in a small and big fashion. Um, and thanks for um, contributing your ideas on EO scaling impact. And of course, for all the listeners who are tuning in, uh, Angelica can be easily found uh, on Google, uh, as can her restaurants and her businesses. And it's, um, it's great to know that, you know, our local EO members are making a real, real impact in this space as well. So great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, Anders. Oh, thanks for what you're doing, Anders. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Scaling Impact. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcatcher and we'd be super grateful if you leave us a great review. For more information about Scaling Impact, the Entrepreneurs' Organization, or our work on sustainable innovation, please check out EO Sydney online. We would appreciate if you can take a moment to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and help build the movement. We hope that what we learn together on Scaling Impact can help us all build a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. See you in the near future.